Well, it began all the way back in early March, but finally the 2021 National Premier League seasons are coming to a conclusion. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another feature episode of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James Scott and Adam with you on this surprisingly sunny Wednesday evening. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you? Oh, pretty good. It's been a long season. Looking forward to resting my voice after a very long year of, I think, about 40-odd broadcasts or something. Scott, how about you? Yeah, the sun is out. It's heat, the heat. It's heating up in the weather and it's heating up on the field in the NPL finals. Looking forward to semi-finals this weekend. It has been a very long season, but let's talk about it. 100, 114 we games we've actually covered uh, collectively on, on social media for the FQ competition. So, yes, very long season indeed. Best advertising they can find, I say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we should point out that we are recording this the Wednesday before the NPL men's semifinals, uh, in large part because, uh, well, once the NPL season ends, the A-League men's campaign gets underway, and this is, of course, the Brisbane Football Review. We did start and remain a primarily A-League's-focused podcast, so we'll get our NPL coverage uh, kind of wrapped up with three matches still to play. So we'll start off with the NPL men's competition. As mentioned, it did start Friday the 5th of March up at AJ Kelly Park. Peninsula Power, 5-1 winners over Logan Lightning on the evening. And now, 26 rounds later, Power, once again, NPL Premiers here in Queensland. And um, Scott, we'll get your early thoughts on how the season unfolded from a general perspective. I thought it was a really good season, actually. There was a really clear split, obviously, between you had the top six or seven sides who had pulled away and were challenged each other quite well, and you had the bottom seven. But I do think it was a really competitive season because at the start of the year, there was that top four, established top four from the last two or three years. And I remember we were talking about who could and would step up and challenge them, and would anyone do that? And we've certainly seen two or three sides really do that this year. That's been really encouraging to see. But overall, the football's been really good. Adam? Oh, look, I think um, standards certainly, uh, and I think it's year on year on year that the standard of the competition you know, across the board has has gotten better in most part. Um, it was a little um, sort of disconcerting to see that you know the the relegation battle sort of really developed early, but I don't think we were we were too shocked um, about that because obviously where there's competition at the top, uh, when the top four became you know seven or eight contenders. Obviously, there was going to be that balance where you were going to have some teams that were fairly uncompetitive, and that that actually came out um, so fell in the piece. But I think overall, the standard of the league, I think, just keeps on getting better over time. Absolutely, it's been such a it's been a season that's been full of drama. We haven't been robbed of entertainment by any stretch as the season's gone along. There've been some memorable matches, two that really stand out for me in terms of just pure drama. There was the Lions Olympic clash in the rain back in May that finished 3-3 as Simon Smale lost his mind with, uh, I think it was Daniel Lex equaliser there. And then the other standout game for me was Gold Coast Knights going to Peninsula Power back in September. 3-2, Nick Panetta with the late rocket for Knight to steal what we thought at the time could have been a huge three points for Knights, but they weren't able to go on with it. But those were my two standout matches of the season. What about you, Adam? Uh, look, my, my standout match was actually at Walter Park, um, which never usually fails to deliver on drama. Um, Brisbane Raw Academy and Morton Bay. Uh, Owen Baker's return, return with uh, Chris Grossman away on parental, uh, parental leave, where uh, basically um, Morton Bay came out of nowhere, 3-2 down with five to go to steal that game. 
Um, and the other game that stands out in my mind is actually one that probably will not win many prizes for the standard of the play, but Kapalabar versus Lions in the absolute monsoon early in the season. And I think that result, at the end of the day, may have been what has ultimately saved Kapalabar. Yeah, that makes quite a bit of sense. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. There are a couple of other just like genuinely good games to watch. I'm trying to think especially of the matches that I commentated. And the other one, uh, when we were down at Carrara for the Raw against uh, Gold Coast Knights, Marek Madley with the uh, 67th minute go-ahead goal for Knights. That was actually also just personally uh, one of my favourite passages of play to call. And a, uh, yeah, good little replay to go back and look over as Knights won that game 2-1. Scott? Well, firstly, what a surprise Adam goes through a game at Morton Bay. What, a, <laughs> what an absolute shocker that is. But for me, you mentioned the, you mentioned one of my two games, James. It was the Lions, the Olympic game. It was the same night as a Raw game up in Redcliffe. I remember travelling back down the gateway and I got to Lions at half-time of that and Lions were leading 2-0. In the second half of that clash at Lions Stadium between Lions and Olympic was absolutely outstanding. You mentioned the Leck goal. That wasn't the only one. There were two or three outstanding strikes in that second half, which made it well and truly worth the effort getting out there. But the other game was up at um, AJ Clee Park, actually, between Power and Raw towards the back end of the season. The Raw yep. went to went to Redcliffe that night with the chance of going top of the table. And for about for about 70 to 80 minutes of that game, they were right in it with them. And it was a late, a late goal for Power that got them the win. But the Raw really served it up to them that night. And it was a really good clash. So they're probably two that stood out for me over the course of the year. Yeah, that was a really good game. I do remember, again, Simon losing his mind. That seems to be a theme, doesn't it? <laughs> of the games that well, I seem to like. That is why he's the best we've got here in Queensland, Simon Smale, and I'm sure he's a loyal listener of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, nice little uh, plug for Simon. And uh, he's, he's actually had quite a few memorable moments, hasn't he? Doing that uh, 2017 Grand Final. Dylan Wenzel Halls yeah. with the winner. Yes. Yep. That's yeah. That's that's one, that's one of his his final calls. That one. Um, yeah. Like I'll uh, Simon. Not out there. switch. By the way. Yeah. Simon seems oh, to have yeah. his voice on a lot of the soundtrack of you know a lot of the highlights over the past uh, few seasons. Actually. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, knowing full well that this is going to be you know probably viewed as a only partial breakdown of what's going on because we do still have the finals and like it or not, they matter in Australia. And I still love finishing the season with grand final day. It always makes sure that the season ends with something on the line, whether it is just a trophy or something a little bit more. Uh, Scott? Well, we'll have coverage of the finals on Brisbane Football Review. We will. have coverage of all both semifinals and the final, as well as Sunday show after the semifinal and the grand final. So, well, we do have, this is the end of the regular season. We still have two shows to go in, the NPL stuff. They said, "Well, we'll recap all the action in the final series." Well, okay. So, what we might do then, in the interest of uh, brevity, we might quickly run through the top four because their seasons are still going, and then focus on the teams from five to fourteen in a little bit more depth. How does that sound? Okay. Well, that's why I'm hosting anyway. It's my job to decide these things. So, just quickly, Pen Power—they started off on a tear. I think it was their first fifteen games that they won, and that was just absolute like that was just absolutely ridiculous and then they did start to fall uh first points dropped would have been to olympic from memory it was a one nil loss back in uh, late july where yeah they could have gone ahead but i did notice with them the injury of brendan white 
did uh, sort of coincide with their results starting to taper off at him. Yeah, look, I think that's when you look back. And I think that, and also as well, uh, Penn Power, I think twice they've been in, so they've come out in the season strong, and they've sort of, you know, faded a little bit as, you know, as the sort of, the prices seem to be in sight. But, uh, yeah, look, that's a very good point that, um, yeah, a few key injuries, um, yeah, namely Brendan White, uh, obviously sort of started throwing up a bit of a... Um, I guess, you know, doubt on the goalkeeping. Not that Phil Zabax is he's probably one of the better, you know, backup keepers and, in the league. And Denver Crickmore, who they also added. Mm. So, so yeah, so, but, yeah, they, um, they I think also as well, they seem to suffer coming out of long breaks like the lockdown because they, they went for a run there for, I think, four games, um, four games where they only sort of picked up, you know, two points or something. So they, uh, they started, but it was lucky they did start out yeah, strong because because they um, they sort of really need it, especially the back end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And look, they've got still a ridiculously good uh, side in the uh, out on the park. They've got the Golden Boot winner Andy Pangeli and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I do think it is going to be a really tough side to beat in the finals. But as we've seen, they are far from invincible. Scott, a quick recap of uh, Penn Power's regular season campaign. I think Adam pretty much covered it all quite well. I will, I will add just one thing. They have, over the last three years, they've won 61 out of 78 games in the NPL regular season for at a 78% clip or 2.4 points per game. So they've been, since they've been in the NPL, they've been absolutely right at the top every single time. Adam mentioned they've slid a little bit at the midway mark in a couple of seasons, but they've been a mark of consistency. And when you, when you go back-to-back like they have in the Premiership, you expect stats like that, but they've been the model of consistency over the last three years. Absolutely, and well, you know, it is a well-resourced uh, men's program up there at AJ Kelly Park, and it is paying plenty of dividends. Move on to the Brisbane Raw Academy, I think is what they're called now, Brisbane Raw NPL. Anyway, um, key is the Raw side finished second, highest scoring team in the National Premier Leagues here in Queensland, 82 goals, and it really is a testament to the work that Chris Grossman, Owen Baker, and even Warren Moon have done in their time building this side up to be as competitive they have been this year, Scott. It has. I mean, there's a lot of things you can think about when you talk about the young Raw this season. They've they've overcome a lot. They've had a lot of players who've obviously moved up to the A-League side, Parsons, um, Macklin Frake, even young Cyrus Demi, and along with a few others who have gotten up to that level. But the way that they've played their football in a fluid attacking manner is something that I've really, really enjoyed from the young Raw, and they'd play the same way no matter who is available, and the, the, the core group that they have have just been absolutely outstanding. They've improved consistently over the course of the season. Even guys like Louis Zabala and Jackson Simkin, to name just two, who haven't played yet in the senior team but have been in and around the mix, they've, they've, just, they've taken their game to the next level. I know Chris Grossman's always preaching that for these young players, they've got to be in the top handful of players in the in the competition to get that chance in the A-League side. And you have to say, we'll go through our teams a year later on, but I think a fair few of them have certainly put themselves in that frame of being in the top handful. So they've had a really good year. But even the, the new wave coming through underneath them, when these players have been unavailable, guys like Sam Klein, Dom Horwood, Luke Broderick, to name a couple, they've all come in and done their job as well. So, well, the, the high-end guys in the Royal Academy have been performing they're starting to get a production line of players now who come through the system and also co- contribute. So I don't. Th- I think that they're going to be a challenger for the next for consistently for the next few years because they've got the talent pool coming through. So they've had a really good season. Yeah, like I, I, I think 
Scott Nuttall on the head. And the one thing I know we've spoken about many times on the Sunday show when reviewing um, Brisbane Raw Academy games is that the it just seems to be the culture at the moment is basically next man up. Every time there's a call up, you know, it's, it's the next player up to do the job. Like Alex Parsons started the season, you, uh, James, you alluded to the point um, when picking one of your favourite games, the game down between Raw and Gold Coast in the season. Alex Parsons scored absolute scream, and I think we said that night that was the last time he will appear for the young Raw because he was going to get picked up by, he was going to be playing for the senior team. So and that was, wasn't it? I think it is. It Didn't is. he play for the senior team on the Friday before that too, by the way? I think so, I think yeah. He, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the point being, that then caused Eli Adams to step up. You know, and then Keegan Yelchich came back. And then as, as Scott sort of, you know, even the players that he mentioned below, next generation next, players like Dom Horwood, Sam Klein, you know, Luke Broderick. Like, this is a team that, you know, I don't know if this year is going to be the year. It's all, it's all going to depend on the final two games. But you know what? Their chances are this young Raw side could be a force in the MPL for years to come. Just the way they keep on rebuilding and reinventing themselves as far as the next lot of players that come up. And that's not and that's not counting players like a Harry Talbot, who probably needs that little bit more time in the MPL before, you know, eventually potentially going on to the senior team. Yeah, and like just thinking as well, the players that they are taking out of those high school uh, teams as well, uh, the, the guys I'm thinking mm. of, Josh DeMarco and Lockie Johnston from TSS, yep. Reese Gray from uh, Gregory Terrace, they're also players that will be worth watching because, like again, just we're not going to f- uh, focus too much on the Brisbane Royal A-League men's side. I did remember to call it by its correct full name. Uh, <laughs> but I do I, I do feel like those guys, uh, especially someone like Reese Gray or the um, uh, and the defenders as well, there are going to be opportunities because... Yeah, like Hingit and Josh Brindle South are occupying that right back spot now, but at some point you are going to look to infuse a little bit more youth, and someone like Gray could provide that, you know, typical Ivan Franich uh, bombing on right fullback uh, style player that we associate so much with Brisbane, especially if they do opt to stick with that back three, four three style formation that um, Warren Moon has them playing. So, yeah, it, the future is bright for the Raw. I think yeah the best part as well is not only did they uh score 82 goals excuse me this season um they also only conceded 31 which just a quick uh scouring through the table is the third best defensive record in the competition and we've have seen in the past that's where they've really started like they've really struggled as the season went on and availability became an issue adam yeah, so I just want also as well, I'd be remiss to also not mention also Brandon McMorrow in that list of players yep. that have really, you know, been integral to the raw success this season. And the players that, you know, in the past have been sort of, you know, you know, bit part players. As soon as the the better players have gone onto senior team like Alex Parsons, like Osiris Demi, these are players that are driving this. And look, and they'll they'll get their opportunities uh, for for senior team. But you can bet that there'll be players behind them pushing up in that in that twenty three side that are going to want that opportunity. So I think what Chris Grossman and his coaching team there have done is just spectacular. Definitely. All right, we will move on to Olympic FC now, the Raw's semi final opponents, and those two will be facing off Sunday at 6pm at Goodwin Park. And, well, I suppose all you can really say is, like, I said, I think I went back to our NPL season preview show and just all I can think of for uh, Ben Khan, the regular season's all well and good, but for them 
this is a time of year that really matters. Three straight grand final defeats. Adam, I'm going to lead off with you here. Is this a season where Olympic are able to break through? I think they need to. I almost think that they need to. Um, it's bad enough that they're three-time grand finalists without lifting a trophy. I couldn't imagine what four straight years, you know, four straight seasons without winning the trophy could do. They'd almost be better off, you know, losing on on Saturday, on Sunday just to um, to avoid that. But if they win, the pressure is going to be so much on them, you know, on November 6th, because that's, that's going to, I think they'll be fighting themselves as much as, you know, fighting history. I'm pretty sure we may have a Buffalo Bills fan in the audience who can speak about losing four straight grand finals. Scott? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up that, but it's funny because you mentioned Olympic. They've, they've only lost three games the entire regular season. It's the be- and they've got the best defensive record of the whole season. So when you talk about Olympic, typically you think flash attacking football, a lot of goals, and they still score plenty, but... That defensive solidity is something we didn't necessarily always associate with Olympic, and that's what's really been been an issue and had been underpinning their success this year. So it seems like they have changed things a little bit there to be a bit more solid at the back, and they're, they're a dangerous team. There's no doubt about that, and I think they're going to have a big role to play in the in the finals without doubt. I yeah, that is probably the story of the season is just that overall defensive improvement. Zach Anderson. And uh, Lockie Hunter have both been huge for Ben Khan's side. But so I, just, I should also speak- mention in the front third, Shannon Brady has had an excellent season for them, stepping up. With, they've lost, obviously, Yinka Kahinde midway through the year. Tasku Sakir didn't come back. Jez Lofthouse has moved on to the Raw. They needed someone to step up and score the goals for them, and particularly at the back end of the season, in big games and big moments, Shannon Brady stood up for them. I think he's scored their last five or six goals from memory over the course of the, over the back end of the season. So he's had a, a great end of the season and it's been really important for them. And if they do have any success in the finals, I think he's going to be a big part of it as well. In addition to the obvious defensive improvements that you mentioned. Yeah, well, the I suppose, the, yeah, seven draws uh, for Olympic is not what you would want. But I, like some of those games, it was them battling back to get a point as opposed to, you know, uh, falling late or something like that. But the um, match that uh, really does define what Olympic have done this season for me is actually uh, would have been May 15th, give or take, when they travelled to the Croatian Sports Centre and actually became the first side to defeat Gold Coast Knights there in their NPL life, which is a, a huge statement of its own. But the way that they did it, they just... Look, Knights never really were able to break through in 90 minutes at home and that was a completely different Olympic side than uh, what we've seen. So, yeah, I do, I do think they have the solidarity to get it through and to get the job done in the finals. It just all basically comes down to, you know, whether or not they can execute on the day. Yeah, um, I think I think the the one big, I guess, drawback I guess for Olympic this year is the lack of a specialist number nine. I think that's that may have what come back and you know, like Shelford Dias did you know an admirable job. Uh, Daniel Leck for a time there was playing in a false nine role. But look, I think you you look at you look at those sides around around them and um, and yeah, looks so they've, they've got some potent uh, goal scorers. Um, Whereas I think uh, Olympic, they, I think that's where they sort of lacked like a seventh, the seventh, um, you know, best goal scoring record, which is probably mid table for them to go with the best uh, defensive record, mind you. But um, but yeah, and I think that's probably where um, the, the seven draws. You you if you um, turn that seven into three or four, they're they're right in it for the championship for the so for the premiership. Yeah, 
And it, like, say, yeah, you take four draws away and you split them. That's another four points and it puts them one behind Penn Power. Mm. So, yeah. Um, and then we probably also don't have anywhere near as much debate about uh, the hosting of the semi-final. Anyway, moving on. Lions. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah. I'm not ruling out anything for Lions. I learned my lesson uh, last year when I tipped them to finish fifth and um, some of the people at the Golden Lion have not let me forget that. So, um, you yeah. It. Yeah, God forbid I thought that losing Warren Moon might actually impact them. <laughs> yes. Um, they did have to battle to get into the finals, did Lions, but they got the job done. They really came into their own as the season went along, and it kind of coincided with the emergence of uh, midfielder Max Mikola. It did, and you never write off the big game Lions. That's something I think you learned last year, I think a lot of teams learned this year. You mentioned Max oh, yeah. Mikola was a big part of the reason why they... They've had such a back into the finals. End of, oh, sorry, the second half of the year has been so good. So the return from injury is Sean Carlos. When he returned, filling that role in the middle of the midfield has been absolutely crucial for them. Him, He, alongside Joe Duckworth, steering that side around the park has been really, really important for them. But on Max Mikkel, he has had an outstanding season for them in his first NPL season, stepping up after a good second half of the year with Wolves in the FQPL last year. We saw his talent there. He's taken it to another level this year and the platform that Lions provide, provided him has allowed him to showcase what he can do at the top level in this state, and there's plenty more to come from him. It's not been a vintage Lions season. You'd have to say there have been a few injuries. They've been a little bit shaky at the back at times, but the, the change to the back three seems to have allowed them to get their best players on the field, and like we saw last year at this time of the year, if they're there, they're a threat. Yep. Yeah, look, I think... I think the uh, about the two main cogs as far as if you ask why Lions, you know, especially the second half of the season where they I think they rattled off, uh, you know, ten wins of the last eleven or something, something some ridiculous run like that, um, was yet yeah, the the return of Sean Carlos to, that to basically field general that that midfield, but also as well Max Mickler who had a, who had an excellent season. Um, we thought we thought he'd have a good season, but I think um, yeah. The season he had has just been, yeah, it was remarkable. It is, yes. All right, so those are the four uh, semi-finalists. I will get predictions later on, but uh, for the time being, we'll move on now to Sunshine Coast Wanderers, who just quietly, they were really, really good this year. They uh, came into the run home in second place and then just couldn't quite get the job done over the back end of the season. But they were able to play spoiler for a couple of their rivals around them beating Gold Coast Knights 1-0 up at Ballinger Park in a uh, match. Scott, what was your big takeaway from uh, Paul Arneson's men's season? I think when you think about Sunshine Coast Wanderers, you're not looking at any one individual who had a standout year. You're just looking at a really, really solid squad where the, the whole is better than the sum of the parts. And what they, what I mean by that is collectively as a team, they produce probably above what you would have expected of them. I think when Adam spoke to Paul Arneson at the start of the year, they weren't thinking about challenging for the top four, they were looking to stay in the league, and they've certainly well and truly eclipsed that. But there are some some very good players in there. I think Brody Boyce is one who's a lot of people thought's had a really good year at the back, and obviously Ollie Duncan scored that unbelievable goal for up in Mackay, which I think has gone viral and probably be everyone's pick for goal of the year. But they've got, it's more it's just the sum of the parts. The guys in the front third have all scored a bunch of goals, got like Galbraith and and Cutler and and Jeremy Stewart and scored. So look, they've got players who've that had good seasons, but none that you'd say are really stand out. It's just a really, really solid team who function really well together. And 
they were in it right up until their eyeballs till the very end of the season and and on it, it was fine margins that cost them ultimately in terms of getting into the top four wasn't they had their chances against teams who were in the top four that they weren't quite able to beat if they could have beaten one or two of those sides they might have found their way in but it's been a great season for Paul Arnison and the Wanderers and there's been there's plenty to build on there absolutely Adam yeah, um, look, a remarkable season by Sunshine Coast Wanderers. I think, I think uh, beyond all their wildest dreams, and I agree completely with Scott. There's no, there's no one player you'd say is a superstar in that team. They are a team that is every def, every definition of the word. Um, yeah, look, but if I if I have to um, to point out a few players, I think yeah, the, uh, guys like Riley Campbell, guys like Brody Boyce, uh, Liam Fitzsimmons on the uh, in the fullback roles, and also like Ethan Galbraith up front. Uh, They've they've all been they've all been good. Um, even even you know Jacob Fuller coming off the bench and scoring you know goals from time to time. You know it, it's just a team, it's a team effort, and uh, it just shows that you know you may not they may not they probably have the smallest budget of probably all the teams you know that are fighting up in in that um in those top positions. And and like I said that no matter what, how you look at it, uh, it's been a successful season for them. It's disappointing they missed out in the finals, but. Look, I reckon uh, they, they could be another one that could be there in about next season. Yeah, as you, that, that is a hard part of a lot of the NPL stuff where it is tough to forecast year on year because these sides can change so much. Uh, one side that I would I don't think I'm really going out on a limb here and saying that they uh, underachieve, but Gold Coast Knights, at times they look like world beaters down at the Croatian Sports Centre and other times they just really struggled, especially in those final few matches the matches of the season where they suffered a couple of pretty handy defeats, including 4-0 against Gold Coast United on the final day of the season. But uh, I suppose the standout, one of the standout stories for me was uh, Mitch Nichols continuing to, you know, defy age and whatnot. And it's, yeah, he was, uh, I think he only missed one game for suspension. Scott, what did you think? I think it's a very much a transition year now for Gold Coast Knights. You mentioned the results at the back end of the season. I think the Fed probably... At, uh, probably after that loss to the Wanderers, they probably realised that their top four chances were all but over, and they've been focusing probably on their upcoming FFA Cup tie against whoever it is, whenever it is. We don't know when it's going to be, but you mentioned earlier with Gold Coast Knights, James, their record at home. And I think it's worth having a good look at it because they actually, for the first two years in the competition, they played 28 games at home in the league, won 22 and drew, drew six. So unbeaten for the first two years. They won their first four this year. After that loss to Olympic that you mentioned, they won five, lost a further three, and drew one. So that fortress that, that Carrara had been for the first few years in the NPL for them completely fell apart in the second half of the of the season. And I think when you look at it from them, what went wrong for them, I don't think they had a great amount of injuries more than anybody else. I just think that fortress that they've had hasn't quite delivered for them and that's a big problem for them also I just think they haven't quite been at their absolute best and I think Scott McDonald coming in over the off season I think it's a big off season for the Gold Coast Knights and I expect them to bounce back strongly I mean this season will have hurt them and you mentioned the loss to Gold Coast United it was their first loss to their Crosstown rivals in seven games so that will that's a stinging way to finish the season and if they weren't already hell-bent on a rejuvenation next year that'll certainly kickstart that so I expect them to bounce back strongly next year but this year by their standards uh, by their very high standards you'd have to say it's a failure yeah and uh, just before uh, you go into your little spiel Adam Scott you will know the answer to this so you're excluded from this trivia question 
Knights were very uh, hit or miss this season, only drawing one game. Who did they draw with? Oh. <laughs> I've got it right in front of me. You're right. I won't say anything. Uh, I'll just try and try to look and see quickly. No, no it was Lions. Lions round one. No. Wrong. Wrong. Oh, that's no, that was... won that. Uh, so Tommy Gerrard's late winner. All yeah, right. It it was three three against Brisbane Strikers on Tuesday, July thirteenth oh, at the Croatian Sports Centre. Of course. So. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that that was that was just the other uh, weird little thing I noticed with um, Knights was fifteen wins, ten defeats, one draw, which yeah. was uh, clearly the lowest in the competition. Scott, you just want to get something quickly, and then we'll go to Adam. Just because results like that are why Gold Coast Knights have had such a down season because that sort of result previously in the past is a game that they win three or four nil against the bottom of the table team and move on. But they had too many results like that this year. Okay, Adam, your thoughts on yeah, just, uh, Knights? Yeah, just quickly, um, like I said, what Scott saying with all the stats. The one, the one thing I want to point out about Knights is I think on paper their their best eleven is premiership material. There's no question about that. I think where Knights struggle this season is depth. Uh, depth as far as they had, you know, the substitutes sort of other than you know uh, a, a couple here or there. They never really had the depth. And I think over a 26-game season, you can have the best 11 players, you know, perhaps in the league, but after a while, it's going to catch up with you as far as not having that depth. And I think that's probably what sort of where they basically ran out of fuel, you know, near the end of the season, especially after, you know, their fate was sealed. Yeah, that is very close to what I was thinking on them as well. Um, I I kind of feel like the, one of the first areas that they probably should look to address is settling on a central defensive pairing. They had Austin Ludwig, who I was really, really impressed with. Junior Yabe played a bit part role. And Ryman Hoffman, like, I'm pretty sure he will do anything his coaching staff asks um, of him. But uh, I'm not sure his best position is central defense. I'd like to see him just, you know, uh, paired up with Max Brown in that sort of central midfield role and just let him have a bit more freedom rather than taking on so much defensive responsibility. That being said, he was still pretty damn good as a central defender. But anyway, um, Adam, I think you know exactly where we're going next. So I'm just going to uh, try and guess what you're about to say about Morton Bay United. Walter Park was the home of some of the most entertaining matches in the National Premier League this season. And Royce Brownlee's side was so entertaining, scoring 75 goals. And it was a great night out for all of them. And that is why I am the mayor of Morton Bay. Scott, how was that? He also thinks they were robbed in many matches. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Me or Royce? <laughs> you. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Royce as well, but you I was referring to. I uh, actually I, uh, I was gonna say I was actually gonna say, yep, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Let's let's go have this one. Um yeah, look, uh, seventy five goals seventy five goals this season, big tick. Rio Ono and Zach Kierpal were brilliant this season. Uh, probably uh like I said, they they were you know, massive drives. This uh, defensively, oh, that's a that's a big fail. That's a big fail, unfortunately. Um, let, let in way too many goals. Uh, goalkeeping sort of issues as well. Um, yeah, and that, that's probably one area. And it's the funny thing is, is that with Morton Bay, is that they've got the players to be able to play defensively, but I think it, it became a little bit too 
um, top heavy as far as let's play all our attack and sometimes I think the players kind of switched off you know try and defend or they, they get hit on a counter or just you know go to sleep almost and uh, yeah I think that's probably one area that Royce Brownlee will probably need to look at next season if they want to um, sort of get into that you know be serious finals contenders Scott? Well first I'll get to why they didn't make the top four but firstly I was really impressed with their young players once because we spoke about Zach Kierpal a lot he had another outstanding season but so did Will Edmiston in that midfield role I thought those two as young players look like they've got great futures ahead of them as well as Rio Ono who also his move over from Capalaba he's continued to step up and become a real leader of that team but Adam mentioned the fact they have scored second most goals in the competition they also conceded conceded far too many however they conceded the fifth most goals and the only teams that they can who they conceded fewer goals than were either relegated or safe on the final day so they concede far too many goals and when you look at their wins that they recorded against teams in the top half they played 12 games against teams in the top half they won two drew one and lost nine for seven points total scored 21 conceding 39 that's not enough against teams who you're fighting against to get into the top four their record against all the rest of the teams in the bottom half was exemplary they played 14 they won 12 of them the only team they didn't beat was Logan so their issue, they can they concede too many goals, and they've just got to find a way to beat the good teams in this competition. But they do a lot of things right, Morton Bay. They pro, they promote their young players, which I really enjoy. They play some really great attacking football. They just need to find a way to beat those teams in and around them on the on the table to to press into that top four. And this may be a case of uh, hosts not completely listening here, Scott. So I apologise for that. However. Um, yeah, I, you, I, it sounded like you actually just took my stat there about how um, Morton Bay struggled against the top half of the league because when I did that game against the Raw uh, last month, uh, I had the stat, I think it was like 7 points out of 30 or something against the sides on top of the It grew table. to 9. grew to 9 points yeah. total by the end of the season. It was something like that. But again, I, I'll, I'll finish off Morton Bay by saying this. Obviously, the... Um, social media darling of the NPL Jez Lofthouse has finally been signed up by the Brisbane Raw. I would not be surprised if Zach Kierpel, uh is the player we're hearing about for the next couple of years of saying, why haven't the Brisbane Raw signed? And I think Zach Kierpel is going to be the answer to that question because he showed so much. And I, I love the fact that uh, Royce Brownlee just said, yeah, he's good enough and just let him go. And that combination that how quickly he established it with Rio Ono, right, right from that game that, Adam, I think you and I were at at the very start of the season against Gold Coast United, who we're about to get to. Those two just linking up and Kierpel making the runs for Rio to pick him out showed just how unbelievably effective those two can be when they're uh, firing. So hopefully that is something for Morton Bay to look forward to next year. Yeah, and look, he's, he, he's got a good mentor in Royce Brownlee. We don't have to go in as far as, you know, his record, you know, as far as you know, in his playing career. So to, to learn anything from him, I think it's going to be to Zach's, um, Zach's sort of, you know, credit. And like I said, this is a great, this is a great, you know, first full season. I, I'm, I can't wait to see what he does in season two. Yeah, and that's a, that is a yeah, beauty of having the NPL competition for the players like Kierpel who are coming up from outside the raw system, but I think, you know, probably are good enough to uh, eventually join up is, you know, give him a couple of years. He can learn, maybe have a little bit more time to put a bit more muscle on because let's be honest, defenders can be a bit brutal sometimes. 
uh, I, he does have that option to grow into the role. Okay, Gold Coast United. Um, Gray Piddick's uh, first season at Coplick Family Sports Park had its moments. Discipline, little bit of an issue. There was one game where they had to play an hour with nine men. Um, but he did help. He did shore them up defensively, but they still need to settle on an attack because as great as it was seeing you know, Shane Smelt score a brace on the final day of the season, they just are really missing that sort of dynamic striker that we've you know, I've spoken about with the uh, top-line strikers like Demi, um, like Max Mikola, etc. That real game-breaking player. And they are bringing some good young players through, but where are the goals going to come from, Scott? You kind of mentioned the issue. You mentioned that their, their lack of discipline. Well, a lot of that stems from players in the front third. A couple of guys in the front third who are very experienced pick up far too many bookings and occasionally get themselves sent off. And that costs Gold Coast United in a number of games this year. You're right, they have got some really good young players, some of which we didn't see at the back end of the year because they were stuck on the on the other side of the border and couldn't get over here to play the game. So they were a little bit short-handed. But I do think they've got some really promising young players down there. For them, the win on the final day of the season is such a great result for them to be able to finally to get that monkey off the back to be able to beat Gold Coast Knights. And for Gray Piddick, I'm sure... He very much enjoyed it, even if it wasn't a result which saw his team make the finals. But I'm sure he very much enjoyed it. They finished the season really well as well, Gold Coast United, which is an encouraging thing for them. They just need to get the right experienced players around the young talent. If they can get a couple of really good leaders... They've lost Michael Thwaite this year, obviously, because of retirement. They've lost Junior Yabe to Knights. So if they can just get a really good leader in that side, in the defensive third, to help steer the team around the park, they could take a step forward next year because... The minutes they've got into the young guys, like a Tom Fages at the back end of the year, I think he scored five goals in the last four games. That's invaluable, and he can really grow as well. So I like what they're doing. They just need a couple more experienced players. 54 yellow cards all up for Gold Coast United. Not as many red cards as you would expect. Uh, two for Jared Kyle, one for Alex Tabion, Blake Thompson, and Sam Smith. I think it's so, the, when they get the red cards, they're memorable because of how they happen. Yeah, mm. and also it has to be said that is also just what's uh, listed on Sports TG as well. So, um, and that's where I go for my NPL stats because yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Adam, yeah, look, I think Gold Coast United. It was very hard to get a read on where they were on the table because they, they, they always until the last couple of weeks of the season with uh, two or three games behind the rest. So they, obviously it marks their true position um, on that. So I think them finishing uh, eighth is probably where. It, where sort of that we felt that they were, they're probably mid mid pack. But Scott's right. I think they've got some great young players. I think Tom Fagens and Zahi Addis. I think are two players that are worth watching uh, next season amongst amongst others. And uh, also as well, I think yeah, discipline. This one is has been an issue for that side for a number of years. And uh, and look, I think it may be also an opportunity for Gray Piddick to really sort of next season. He's got plenty. He's got plenty sort of narrow talent coming through with plenty of upside I'd be interested to see how he can build on that when it actually becomes his team and rather than being an inheritance Scott? No, I've got oh. you go oh, Okay, thought you were saying you wanted to talk We are still doing this uh, over Skype now as we have for the last 18 plus months, I've lost track of how long it's been since we started doing these remote recordings but uh, anyway uh, moving on now East um, with all due respect to East, I really didn't get to see a whole lot of them this year because, well, that's what happens when you're in ninth place you uh, and pretty much mid-table. Yeah, I 
I haven't got a whole lot to add if I'm being completely honest because uh, yeah Scott what about you it's it's a pretty st- stock standard year for Eastern Suburbs isn't it? they're one of these mid-table teams they were never in any danger of falling into the bottom three and they were never really challenging the teams at the top we, I saw, we saw them once live in person and the Raw did a pretty good job on them that evening at Heath Park but I think they're a, they're a really solid team at the NPL level in the mid-pack, but they need to be careful because obviously three teams have been relegated. One's coming up, Brisbane City. Two are going down next year. And we've seen teams go from mid-table to the relegation zone pretty quickly. Brisbane City did that in 2020. We're going to talk about another team in a minute who also were mid-pack this time last year who got relegated. So they need to be careful. I think they've got a new coach there as well. So... I'm sure that it's a big off-season to recruit players, but they had a very solid season in the mid-pack. And just looking through their results quickly, like they did have a couple of pretty big wins early in the season. They had a 3-2 win over uh, Olympic back on the 4th of uh, on 4th of April, which may or may not have been Easter. I actually can't uh, remember that far back. And then they also managed to take a point off Lions in a, what from memory was a pretty entertaining 3-3 draw, but... Yeah, it's just, for better or worse, they just never really did anything that um, stood out for me. And looking at it as well, they only scored more than three goals in a game once this season, and that was in their final round win over Magpies Crusaders United. Yeah, look, the word enigmatic comes up as when I think of East. Uh, like I said, they at Heath Park, they can be world beaters, as you, as you just said. Uh, they, they, beat, they beat Olympic. I believe they also beat Gold Coast Knights at Heath Park, and they took points off. They did? Uh, took points off lines, and that was all in a run of a few weeks. So, um, yeah, like I said, they can compete, compete with the best, but when they fold up, you know, they got beat 5 0. I know uh, that was the game that, or 5 1, the game that Scott and I were at, which, which covered live against the Raw Youth, and they had a couple of, you know, other, you know, sort of pretty shocking losses. I think they um, got belted by Morton Bay at one, one point of the season. I think even Sunshine Coast gave them a touch up also at some point. Oh, just looking at their results from October and um, September, this is not in order, and also uh, the final weekend in August, but uh, 5-2 defeat to Moreton Bay, 3-0 defeat to Penn Power, 4-0 loss to Sunshine Coast, 6-0 loss to Lions. Uh, they did beat Strikers 1-0. Uh, 5-2 win over Gold Coast Knights. Or 5-2 loss, I beg your pardon. And a 1-1 draw with Kapalabar, as well as a 0-0... Oh, I beg your pardon. That was a five to win over Magpies Crusaders. So yeah, that's basically the way some of East like. But this is a club that is, you know, predominantly focused on promoting youth players, and it is going to be a bit of a risky strategy, and it may backfire on them eventually. But they do seem to have quite a decent like talent base to go through. You always like uh, just going through some of their socials, and you see some of the uh, young teams coming through and winning awards. I think it is for them just a case of. Knowing, knowing where they stand and where they need to improve on heading into 2022. I think Logan, also as well, sorry, just one last thing. From a coaching thing, David Booth uh, being the um, being the coach for next season obviously has experience as far as, you know, with, with Capal, they got them, got them promoted. So, um, yeah, look, I think coaching-wise they're in good hands, but you're right, there is a danger that if they don't watch themselves uh, in a more, in what could be an old, more ultra-competitive 12-team league next season, the MPL. If they get, they get away from it, they might be uh, one of the relegation favourites. 
Yeah, and that's that's the danger you always run in a competition in any competition really is staying stagnant is probably the most dangerous thing you can do. Thinking, are you good enough? Not that I feel like that's going to be an issue with ease because, as you mentioned, the acquisition of David Booth is going to help them out. Now, Logan stormed the FQPL last season, had a couple of uh, fairly rough results in their main NPL season, but they were good enough to comfortably finish clear of the relegation zone by 11 points. And I suppose, Scott, what what did you make of uh, the boys from Cornubia Park? I think year one from their point of view is a success. Their primary goal was to stay in the NPL and they did that quite comfortably in the end. They were pretty competitive in a lot of their games and I think that it gives them a solid foundation to build upon down there at Cornubia Park going forward. They're another club who like to bring through players from their own their own academy set up and around that area so I think that's probably what they're going to continue to do but for them it was all about once they got to the NPL what could they do and they've shown that they're a very solid team but them and East are almost identical really in terms of where they're at they're both pretty pretty similar to me yeah um, they do have some you know quite uh, good players I do wonder how much longer Jed Brown is going to be around but I think he enjoyed his season in the NPL um, yeah Matt Lugo very strong goalkeeper capable of some ridiculous saves and they would be well served to try and hang on to him for next season as I'm sure some of his exploits have uh, caught out the attention of some others um, yeah I think top to bottom we saw them on the um, we saw them like on the opening match of the season and it does seem like the attention the occasion got the better of them on that night and once Penn Power really got the bit between their teeth they were unstoppable but overall I do think like Logan like, they now know what they need to do to be more competitive at MPL level. And, like, Rick Coughlin is no relation, but a very, very good coach. And I think he is going to try and address the holes that he's got in the squad. And um, I I do kind of feel like a few other, you know, just about every team would love um, an improved striker. Like, Adam Edgar, not a great season for him, like, for what you'd be hoping for for a leading striker. Seven goals from 20 matches and two red cards. It's fine, but it is something that you feel like really could be improved on. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day uh, for for Logan, uh, they they struggled against the top teams. I know they actually did um, hold the young Raw uh, to a scores half-time, and then Cyrus Demi decided to uh, show his best, in that, <laughs> and, and they got hit for six in the second half. That sort of that probably actually summed up a lot of their season. They beat, they sort of held the teams that they should have and beat the teams they should have. But against the top teams, they um, they were outclassed. I think that's something that they'll probably need to look at next season if they're going to stay out of relegation trouble. But look for a fair first season in in uh, MPL. I call a pass. Yep, Scott. Yeah, it's a pass mark for them. That's achieved what they wanted to achieve. Yep. Okay, Palabar. They survived. Just. They needed a win on the final day. Well, actually, they only needed a draw, but they got the win on the final day against Redlands United, and that means we will not have uh, that Bayside derby in the top flight next season. So, uh, let's see what we can do about that in the FFA Cup draw. Uh, Kapalaba, 70 goals conceded. That was really... That's something that he's going to need to be improved on. And, yeah, they were, I suppose, just good enough to survive in the end, Adam. Yeah, he really left it late. <laughs> I mean, they left it to literally the eleventh hour to um, to secure when they probably they probably put themselves in that position um, where they only need a point 
in the last five rounds to to you know, spare themselves you know a showdown on the last day against Redlands. Um, but uh, look, overall, uh, there they survived, uh, but they really will need to improve next season if they don't if their fate you know, in MPL doesn't get sealed before the final round of the season. Because like I said, um, they, it, it's going it's going to go and get tougher for them. Yeah. Uh, they're on notice. I think Brisbane City will feel like they at least are going to be coming into the competition uh, in better shape than Kapalabar. But as we know, an off-season can be a long time in football, Scott. It can, but with with Kapalabar, you're right, they should never have found themselves in this position. I mean, as much as we and everyone else enjoyed the drama and the spectacle of the final day, Bayside Derby for relegation, they won four of their first seven games. They They should not have found themselves in this position. Adam's right, they could have they had multiple opportunities over the last five or six weeks of the season needing one result to be able to put this to bed. They weren't able to do it. They left it until very, very late. They got there. It was a great night for them out there at Max Haynes on on Sunday night, but they need to do better next year without doubt. And the issue for them in the games that I saw live was they conceded a lot of goals in batches. When they conceded one, it would become two and three and four very, very quickly. And it seems like that's something they have to... If they can just try and fix little things like that, games getting out of hand, they might be able to to make a jump. Yeah, I'm just quickly uh, looking through their results. They conceded six goals, one, two, three, four, five times, uh, plus another five against Lions as well. Oh, in a, Yeah, so you're, right, you're absolutely right with that, Scott. It is uh, conceding goals in batches. They also conceded four against Morton Bay... Conceded three a few times as well. Yeah. No, and they also conceded four against Olympic. It was just basically, yeah, trying to make sure that they uh, find a way to shore things up. They, do, I do like um, the young defender they've got, Deng Deng, the Ipswich Grammar product as well. He's a one to keep an eye on there and one that will hopefully go on to further develop at this level of football. Now, Redlands. Well, they tried. And they just fell short at the end, 1-0. They did everything they could to make it really interesting, but when it came down to it, unfortunately, the results were not in their favour. They got caught in on, a, on the derby and just were always chasing from early in the season, Adam. Yeah, look, Scott and I, we, we, we previewed it on the MPL show um, about about seven weeks ago that we, when we were saying to do the runs home, and we said that they had a narrow path to survival. It's a kind of it sort of feels it's sort of a bit sad for them that they they pretty much got they followed that path with a lot of luck, mind you, um, a lot of luck, not as well as um, let's say on the making of their own making, let's say to beat Gold Coast Knights, and probably no one gave them a chance. It was probably you know a high point of their season, but yeah, to fall the last hurdle and to their local rivals, yeah, I think that's probably yeah you know, probably the most crushing thing. But yeah, I think the damage was done when when you look at it as a whole. The damage was done at the start of the season. Just not enough points, not enough uh, wins, and yeah, to almost pull off the miracle. Um, I think this time they've done it before, but this time the luck ran out. Scott? Yeah, when we when we were looking at the narrow path to safety, we were being very, very optimistic looking at could they do it. They nearly did it, to be fair to them, but when you play with fire as much as they have at the bottom end of the table for the last two or three years, eventually at some point you're going to get burnt. And unfortunately for them this year, that's what happened. They were really good in the back end of the season. Adam mentioned some results that they picked up. They also got a draw one all at Olympic, which was a very credible result as well. But 
their start to the year is what has hurt them. And if they could somehow find a way to play like they do at the last six games in the first two-thirds of the season, they'd be a comfortably a mid-table team around the level of East and, East and Logan. But um, they started very slow. I think Graham Harvey, when he came back to the club as a coach, he helped right the ship and get them heading in the right direction. But ultimately, it just was a little bit too... wasn't quite enough this time. Okay, so since the season resumed on uh, the 28th of August, these were their results. Loss to Brisbane Raw, uh, beat Logan 3-2, drew with Magpies Crusaders United, drew with Gold Coast United, draw with Olympic, and then... I've got to go back up quickly. They beat Strikers, and they beat Gold Coast Knights before losing to Capalabar. So 12 of their 18 points came in that final run home over their last... Oh, yeah... 12 points from their final seven games, including that loss to Capalabar, they had have just found a way to get something, like earlier in the season, yep. you know, beat, uh, getting something from uh, when they played Magpies Crusaders up at uh, Solzhenkin Oval. Um, yeah, that could have been their way through. Scott, final word, and then we'll move on. Yep. I know we were never going to get this derby to stay, given that it was one or the other to go, but I'll really miss that derby, because it was, it was a really fun derby. Adam and I were out there for the game at... Cleveland the first time they played this year and that was a that was a fiery game on a Friday night out there there were plenty of challenges thrown around there was no love loss out there so I'm sure Capalaba will be dining out on the fact they've relegated Redlands on the last day for a very long time but I will miss that derby even if it's a a long long trip out there to either ground yes uh now one club whose fate was not decided on the final day of the season it was known a while beforehand. Strikers, two wins, two draws, eight points on the season and a trip down to the FQPL for at least the next 12 months. It's been uh, coming, hasn't it? We, we, I think we all picked uh, Strikers to be relegated back at the start of the season and, well, they avoided the wooden spoon on that final day by only losing 2-0 to Olympic, but Strikers really are in need of a hard reset, aren't they, Adam? Yeah, it was a disaster from the start. John Cosmina um, being appointed coach, we would have thought that actually would have been a positive. But after he, um, after he uh, sort of, yeah, he, he walked away after ten games. Um, the side was you know, unrecognisable from that that uh, that team that went all the way to the FFA Cup semi-finals. Actually, sorry, Adam, I, I would just like to clarify: it was recognisable. It was half of it was playing for Penn Power. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. They, they all they all moved north, but um, but yeah. Um, unfortunately, we knew very early on um that this was going to be their fate, and it was just a matter of time. It was literally a matter of time before yeah that they they were relegated. And like I said, trying like I said, it's very hard to find any real positives for a club of their magnitude. Uh, to go down. This is very, very different to Brisbane City. I think Brisbane City, I think, were more... I think, you know, two years ago, it was more about... I guess I'm not going to use the word arrogance. I can't... But I'm thinking more sort of, you know, complacency on in Brisbane City's part that they left their run way too late to escape. Unfortunately, the writing on the wall for Brisbane Strikers, who are probably as equal a bigger club as Brisbane City... Uh, the right on the wall was there very, very early on. The squad that probably uh, was developing, they probably weren't up to, you know, a full NPL standard. There probably a couple of players that were, but overall, uh, they probably weren't. And yeah, like I said, it's no surprise to see them go down. Scott, 
Oh jeez, how long have you got for this? I mean, look, they're, they're a bigger Not club Not that than long, Brisbane. keep it quick. They're a bigger club than Brisbane City when they went down last year, but Brisbane City had already righted the ship by the time they were relegated. It just happened too late for them. They weren't able to save themselves despite the efforts that they made. With the strikers, Adam, this, this had been coming from right at the beginning of the season. In pre-season, when you're hearing whispers about the sort of team that they've been fielding and the results they've been getting, it was very, very difficult to watch them play this season. I think they're one of the few teams which we didn't actually see in person. And it was... You mentioned it's not recognisable. It, it was a completely un unstrikers like season in every single way. There's normally a team who have a lot of high end talent there at Perry Park where they make a park to Perry where they end where they're always in and around the fight, but this year they never fight a shot. I think they they had one win did you say against Magpies? It's two, two. it was two. two. So it's it's a very unstrikers like season and it's it's hard to see where they bounce back from this because you look at that team that they have right now and unless they go out and bring in six or seven new players I don't see where there's where they're likely to, to um bounce back straight back into the NPL. I think they're a team that's in a complete rebuild. I'm not even sure they've bottomed out yet. That's the sad thing about it. Okay. Uh, just again, I brought up their results. So let's see if we. So they did have one win against Magpies Crusaders United. That was on the 26th of June. They Is that drew. In the goal- I remember watching that on the stream. Uh, Solzhen Canoval, yes. They drew Gold Coast Knights on the 13th of July. They beat Logan 4-2 at Cornubia Park. That was that last weekend before um, everything got shut down for a month. And um, and they had a 0-0 draw uh, at Parc de Paris against Peninsula Power. So that, That's right, that was I do where remember they got... that. I do remember that result. That's yeah. probably the, that is the high-water mark of their season, that result. Yeah. And, you know, credit where it's due, they got that. Um, Magpies Crusaders United, more of the same. It was just a... The side was too young. That That's the only thing I can really remember about it. They made a commendable effort to try and promote a lot of local youth players and uh, local products, but it felt like the average age of that squad would have been in the low 20s, and this is still, you know, a grown-ups league, and you do need that sort of uh, leadership that just wasn't quite there. And unfortunately for them... They're now going to be uh, in FQPL next year. Scott? They are, and they're doing all the right things you'd expect of a club in Mac- in, Mackay, in the regions to do. They're, pr- they're promoting players from the regions and giving them an opportunity to compete. It's unfortunate that this year they weren't quite up to the level. I think and a couple of their senior players decided to not com- not play in this level of football this year. They lost Latham Dunn down to Victoria, where seemingly all the, all the top Queensland players go down to Victoria at some point, and he made the trip down Not there. all the top ones. Well, it seems the... like they all go there at some point. Then some, most of them have a, most of them realise what a waste of time it is and come back. But he went down there, and that was really the last last hope they had was a, was a player like that, because he was a big part of Redlands' push to safety at the end of 2020, the goals and his contributions. And once he left, it was it was a side which, look, they worked hard. There was a lot of endeavour about what they did. They just didn't quite have the quality to compete, and... That's why they found themselves where they did. Yeah, it was a, it was a lesson for them, Adam. Yeah, look, I think yeah, again, it was always going to be tough for them. Um, like a couple of senior players, we had some hope that you know Lathan Dunn, Geordie Vlugels, and you know, Kyron Walters could probably keep it together, but it, it was probably too much for them, especially when Lathan Dunn did skedaddle off to Victoria. 
Um, look, I think at the end of the day, also as well, I think the rumours and conjecture about whether they'd even continue, whether Magpies Crusaders still had a licence as far as they weren't just going to get shuffled back and put, back into the you know, Central Queensland Leagues um, you know, at the end of the season as part of the reforms. The good the good news is that you know, they do hold a licence. They will be playing FQPL next season. Um, at least that's the plan at the moment. And I actually think that level is probably where they'll be more accustomed to. I think it'll be a much safer level, a much more level um, that would they can they can develop young, you know, Mackay juniors and even you know North, maybe potentially North Queensland juniors to at least you know build here, similar to what Southeast Queensland Thunder have done in FQPL, where they're they're on the cusp of maybe a return, maybe next season, the year after, based on a very very local built team. I think that's what Magpies Crusaders need to do is look at the local focus, play at a level that it probably is more suited to, and see what happens. Yep, that's it. Okay, that's our team-by-team recap for uh, the NPL. We'll now go on to a couple of uh, end-of-season notes as well. We'll start off with the awards. Andy Pengelly won the Golden Boot, 30 goals. Excuse me. Uh, Cyrus Demi and Max Mikula uh, equal second with 22. Rio Ono, 21. Adam? Do you want to take us through the Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year Award? Uh, yes, so for the men, um, hang on, let me just try and I'll just go bring up the uh, results. I should have had it prepared. Um, yeah, Max Mickler was uh, crowned our our um, Brisbane Football Review Most Valuable Player for the MPL season. And just I want to confirm that that was for the whole season, not just for his performance against um, Brisbane <laughs> in the FFA Cup, as a few people uh, mistakenly thought. Um, and absolutely had a great season. Um, finished ahead of... Hang on, it's still not coming up for me. Um, Got to love technology sometimes, yeah, right, Yeah, technology Scott? just absolutely uh, shot me here. Uh, <laughs> well, while you're doing yeah. that, I'll... Come, come back here. I'll, I'll just go through full disclosure and uh, give my votes. So we, uh, we did a five points to one point. Uh, five points obviously being for the best player. I gave Andy Pengelly one point, Brody Boyce two, Max Mikula three, Rio Ono four, and Daniel Leck was actually my um, top choice for the uh, for the player of the year. But I have no qualms with Max Mikula taking out the overall award. This is a democracy after all. So, Adam... Yep, sorry, I've got the top five up now. So Max Mikula first on 19 points. Andy Pangeli second on 13. Rio Ono, Rio ono finished third on 11. And the young raw pairing of Cyrus Demi with nine. And Louis de Zabala finished with eight. That was your I, top five. I should, I should clarify, I did have Cyrus Demi coming sixth on my list. <laughs> Absolutely disgraceful. And also, as well, just to also clarify that the, uh, as James revealed his votes, I'm not going to do mine, but uh, but yeah, they said the votes were compiled of between us three as well as the um, other MPL TV commentators, being Campbell Johnson and Simon Smale. So yes, full democ- full democratic process as well. So we're quite pleased with that. Um, Scott, yes, you haven't spoken in a couple of minutes. Why don't you give us your NPL Men's Team of the Year? I'd be glad to. So I don't know how both of you have picked your team of the year, but I've just got, I've looked at this in terms of I'm coaching the grand final right now. Which 11 players do I want out in the field to represent me? And I, this is what I picked. It might not be the most attacking team you've ever seen, but this is the team that I've gone with. And 
Well, I so you're going for the great. You're you're building the Great Wall of Acacia Ridge. You could very well call it that if you like. <laughs> but unlike most of the most like most of the teams in the NPL who've adopted the back three formation this year, so have I. So in goal, I've gone with Lockie Hunter, the goalkeeper with the most clean sheets and the fewest goals conceded. I thought he had an outstanding year for Olympic in the back three. Ahead of him is his teammate Zach Anderson, who led that back line for them this year. What an outstanding bit of recruitment that was to get him to Goodwin Park. Luke Plummer was also there in the back three. He was he was a really solid contributor in that back three for Peninsula Power. And the other one might be a bit of a surprise. I've gone with Jackson Simpkin in, in there from the Young Roar. I thought he was really good as well. At right wing back, I put Lewis Greenwood, who go, both going forward and defensively, he was the outstanding player in the wide areas for me this year. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. For Peninsula Power, I've also got Josh Woolley in there on the left-hand side. I thought that one game in particular where he was thrown into that position against Olympic, they really targeted him, and I thought he did really well in that game, and he was probably the pick of the left-sided players. It was the one position where I wasn't sure who to pick, and he was the one I ended up going for. In midfield, Phil Lasden, to me, is the best holding midfielder in the competition, and it's not close. Next to him, Louis Zabala, who, in that linking role, I think had an outstanding year for the young Raw, also scored a few goals. In the front third... This was tough, but Max Mikula, I thought he was the biggest reason Lions made the top four, and that's why he edges it ahead of a couple of others. And joining him is Andy Pengeli, the Golden Boot leader, Golden Boot winner, I should say, and Cyrus Demi, who was, to me, the most exciting player to watch in the competition. Pace, power, goals. So that's my starting starting 11. On the bench, Brendan White, Hayden McHenry, Danny Driver, Sean Carlos, Eli Adams, Rio Ono and Zach Kierpal and the team is coached by Chris Grossman. That's my team of the year. Okay, Adam? Okay, yeah, mine has a very yeah, very similar look, but um, as far as my formation, I've just gone this standard 4-3-3 formation. So uh, my goalkeeper in my team of the year is uh, Lockie Hunter. Uh, the defensive uh, back four of Hayden McHenry, Zach Anderson, Luke Plummer and Brody Boyce. Uh, my midfield, Sean Carlos, Phil Lazlam, and Rio Ono. And uh, my attackers, pretty much the same. Max Mikula, Andy Pangeli, and Cyrus Demi on the bench. Luke Borian as the reserve goalkeeper. Riley Campbell, Lewis Greenwood, Eli Adams, Daniel Leck, Zach Kierpal, and Jason McQuasse. And coached by Chris oh, Cosper. I, I kind of wish I'd uh, included McQuasse in mine now as well. Okay, so... My uh, NPL team of the year, I followed a slightly different sort of uh, setup to you two. I did give a bit more weight to the games I've seen because obviously uh, when you're out of ground, it's kind of hard to keep up to date with everything that's going on live. However, I'm still quite pleased with my overall lineup. Um, goalkeeper Josh Langdon, I think he is the best shot stopper in the competition. Um, fullbacks Greenwood and McHenry from Penn Power. Centre back pairing of Anderson and Boyce. Uh, holding midfielder Phil Lazum, uh, Max Mikola in there with him, and then the attacking midfielder is Daniel Leck. The wingers Rio Ono and Cyrus Demi and Annie Pengeli um, at the point of the formation. Substitute goalkeeper uh, Hunter. Uh, then the subs Plummer, Zabala, uh, Dan Cunha from Penn Power, Steve White, Shannon Brady, and Eli Adams. As Scott looks like he's dozing off. No, I'm here, I'm here. I'm just <laughs> so, uh, what are you criticising? Oh, uh, Chris Grossman. Of uh-huh. course. Right, we have to submit these three teams to Chris Grossman anonymously and just see which one he likes the best. 
Yeah. <laughs> By all I, means, I reckon he would... Actually, we'll have to ask him, because I know he listens. Yeah, I, I would actually love to get that sort of feedback as well. And uh, from the other NPL coaches that we may have snubbed, uh, send your abuse <laughs> to Adam and Scott at the Brisbane <laughs> Football Review. <laughs> oh, like I said, if you can pick a pick an assistant, it'll be Paul Arneson. Had a fantastic season. There we go. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I was going to make a joke about which coaches scare me, but... Well, let's be honest, when they, I see them uh, going off at an assistant referee, that's pretty much all of them. <laughs> all right, so that is our NPL men's recap. We will also run through the NPL women's competition, which was... Uh, well, look, let's not sugarcoat it. It was pretty damn predictable in the end. Lions, far and away the best side in the competition, absolutely dominant throughout the year. And that is why they were premiers, champions, cup winners... And just all around invincible. So, um, yeah, I suppose we may as well just get straight into the club recaps and quickly say, Lions, look, there's really not enough good things you can say about the talent level of the squad they've assembled and the managerial job of Rob Askew. More so keeping them motivated all year long, um, knowing that the job was not done, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. They had an outstanding, outstanding year. Historic trouble. Well, not historic trouble, because Rob pointed out to me on Saturday night he'd done similar with the old Brisbane Premier League, but in terms of the MPL era, this is unprecedented to win the three trophies in one year. and An outstanding, outstanding year. And But for one poor 45 minutes at Mitchelton and one off night at East where they, where they only picked up a point. I say only, but they by their very high standards, it was a down, they were down results. Apart from those, they were absolutely phenomenal. And that side there, I think it's... As you've seen, there's a number of players from that side who've been picked up by the A-League women, not just with the Raw, but elsewhere. And you can see why. It's an unbelievable group of players. And they swept all before them this year. And they're just a joy to watch. I, again, this may not be a word-for-word quote, but uh, I do feel like we may have said at the start of the season, when we saw the talent that they had available, that this was a side that... Uh, would probably be competitive against a fair few what what was called W League sides at the time. I'm aware it's A League women's now, but I'm trying to keep the quotes as accurate as possible. And Adam, yeah, it was just a rampant performance uh, culminating in a 3-0 grand final win over a Palabar side that, let's be honest, wasn't that bad on paper, was it? Yeah, look, um, I think every, every challenge was thrown at them, they just um, exceeded. They, even you know, a few injuries as well thrown in, a few key injuries, especially in that grand final, losing both their, their regular centre-backs. But again, it's, it's almost like the young roar in a way that their young players now are starting to develop. I think, that, I think that comes in confidence. And you can, you can blood players uh, pretty well, especially young players, when they're coming and playing in games where the game is well and truly a hand, but um, yeah, look, I've said it a number of times on the um, on on our NPL show when so we're recapping every week when they were beating teams, you know, basically off the park. And look, I believe they are the best women's club team in the country right now. I I might have echoed that sentiment on the broadcast on Saturday night. And like I said, that that's not even close. And I reckon they'd even go close to beating half half the W League teams at the moment. That's how much confidence I'd have in this team at full strength. Um, yeah, look, there's not much more to say. They, Everything they came to, uh, they won. They've been, in history, as far as the NPL era, they're probably the second best best team of all time behind the uh, the 2016 Gap team, um, who won... Th- Coincidentally. Who won, I think, 
Yep. Also coached by Rob Askew. Absolutely, yeah. So, but going next season on 29 matches unbeaten. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see next season. It might be might be an interesting season next season, especially because of uh, the number of W League. Oh, sorry, A League women. women players that have been contracted. That depending on when the season starts, it might be a very very young side, a uh, very, very unrecognisable side to start with at least. And also, just in general, you know, a lot of those players love uh, playing uh, out at Richlands, but. Are they going to be able to bring them all back? I would not be surprised if someone like Misha Westland, uh, who was so crucial in that midfield and eventually central defender role, is she going to be able to come back? Or will there be, you know, the main reason for playing in Victoria, a whole lot of money on offer? So, anyway, that's pretty much all we can say. Now, we will stick to the final order of the NPL women's ladder uh, and go on to Gold Coast United and... Look, it was an admirable effort from uh, Alex Bundelow keeping that side competitive when I think overall across the club, uh, the number was 76 players on the other side of the New South Wales border, which made them uh, unable to play, including uh, club co-captain Dee Thompson. And like the fact that they were still able to rally and finish in second place is a testament to the players that were still taking to the pitch, Adam. Yeah, look... Um... Yeah, it's a season that for them, I think that was that was wrecked by the border closures. Um, but the fact that even the last two seasons they've been able that they've somehow been able to be competitive, and that pretty much other than Lions sort of you know being being so sort of better, better than them sort of probably in most regards. I think against the rest of the league, they're still one of the better teams, and um, they've got they've got some good you know good quality players in there, you know, Isabel Habuda, you know, obviously she she was a standout player for them, uh, the return of Momo Hayashi, uh, obviously she she will be better next season, I think, obviously, with more match fitness, uh, and also as well, they've got a couple of uh, very, very talented youngsters uh, coming through, uh, which, you know, which I think as well, that's probably the most important thing for Gold Coast as well, is, is their developing program. That is the one thing that really did just stand out. It wasn't just the border closure that uh, really harmed them. Even before that came about, they were really starting to have their squad thinned out with injuries. And I think Gold Coast, uh, they're one of those clubs that does just give players uh, numbers, the same number all throughout their NPL program. And when you saw, you know, players coming in in the 20s, 30s, etc. on the back of their jersey, you could see where, you know, that depth was really starting to be tested. But, um, yeah... yeah, they just couldn't get the job done in the semi-final. But if they can build on what they've done last season and then again this, they will you know be in the mix once again this season. Whatever changes happen down there, absolutely they'll be in the mix. They had another really really good year. I was impressed with the way they went about it. Despite all the injuries that they had, they never made any excuse. They just kept on fighting, and they've got they do have some really good young players. And I mean Adam and I were watching them one Sunday night out at the Gap actually before the league split and. Kira Richards-Bassett that night, before she got injured, had an unbelievable performance. I think that was after she'd already show, had one or two really good games before that. So it is a club who have a lot of good young talent, obviously. Unfortunately, a fair bit of them, fair bit of it was stuck on the other side of the border, as well as Dee Thompson, who you mentioned. But with the senior players, it's great to see Momo Hayashi back as well after that really bad injury that she suffered in 2020. To see her back on the field at the back end of the season was really good and... A big pre-season and another good season in, in the NPL next year. Who knows? Maybe there's an A-League women's opportunity for her knocking. And also, before she got injured, you would have thought that Momo Hayashi was the best defender in the competition, and 
when she gets back healthy next year, I'm sure she'll prove it once again. The thing is, so she was actually playing central defender when she came back. That was the most amazing thing. Was like they didn't try and shield her by putting her in a spot where she wasn't running too much. They said, "All right, you go and just sort of hold that uh, defensive midfielder spot and drop in uh, as an extra defender when we need it." And that really opened up her range of passing. I saw her return out at Capalaba when she had her first game back in the under twenty threes, and yeah, okay, it was a hot afternoon and whatnot, but. She was moving around and just pinging passes for fun, so it was really good to see uh, that that wasn't affected. Yeah, oh, look, uh, just on my Yashi, I, I thought she's at her peak of her power. She's the best. She's the best player in the league. But uh, also as well for Gold Coast, it'd be remiss me not to mention uh, Ellie Weston was the uh, absolute rock at the back, and even um, Zoe Corbett uh, bombing down the right hand side all season. I think she was also one that probably deserves a lot of credit. But uh, yeah, just uh, just fell short, and uh, with all their issues, I still think they're going to be a force next season. Uh, and, and one uh, side that will also be thinking that they only have to make a few improvements will be Palabar, who made the grand final after defeating Gold Coast in the semi-final. It's a pretty good season for the Bulldogs. It was a talent-laden, albeit a little bit thin squad, but I really enjoyed seeing the way that uh, Archie Cajondo deployed his players this year because he was willing to just say, you know, let's, like, let's just adapt week on week. And... Just thinking back, there was the match at uh, Coplick Family Sports Park back in June where they started out with a back three. Billy Murphy got a concussion about seven minutes into the game and he decided to throw on an attacker to replace her. So, he, And basically went with a back two all game. And it shows that, you know, for me, he is a very brave and forward-thinking manager. So it's going to be... And he will be back for the following season. Plenty of top-line talent. Uh, Amy Chapman leading the way for there, Georgie Worth, uh, Larissa Kramer, uh, even Izzy Ward, who just continues to toil uh, up and down that left wing. I think Capalaba, again, continues to be one of the more impressive clubs. Absolutely. They've got a lot of high-end talent that you mentioned, but it's, you expect players like Georgie Worth and Anna McGrath and obviously Amy Chapman and players like that to perform because of what they've where they've played in their career previously. But it's players like, like Izzy Ward and... Amber Simpson, players like that, who stepped up this year and really fulfilled really key roles in that side. And I, I agree. I think they had an outstanding season, actually. I mean, it was it was really tight between them and Gold Coast, who was the best team out of those two. And I was actually glad they did play in the finals and they got the chance to have that matchup and see who was the best, at least on, on any given day. And it was obviously Capalaba getting the result away from home. But I think they had an outstanding year. For everything they had to overcome down there at Capalba, I think it was great. I think Archie Cajondo, you're right, as a first-year coach in the NPL, did a really good job. And there's plenty to build upon there. I think it was their first grand final in the NPL, not just seniors, but juniors as well. So I think they've had a great year. And I think that there's a lot to build upon. If they can keep if they can keep that group together, I think they'll be a threat next year, particularly given you mentioned Lions are going to start the year behind the eight ball, we think, with all their players unavailable. That gives teams like Gold Coast and Kapalaba the chance to get an early jump on them. And I think it could be Kapalaba who do that. Yep. Uh, the final side that made the semis were Eastern Suburbs, who wound up having a pretty solid uh, second half of the season after the competition split. They entered the uh, back at the final seven games, it was, um, on 31 points and managed to take 11 to uh, get in fourth place. And Look, they've got, you know, Amos, Sophie Person, 
Zoe Lambie, a really good group of players, but they just didn't have the cattle in the end against Lions. But all, all I will say, having seen that game, when Person made it 3-1, if they scored next, they were winning that game. To make, If they'd scored to make it 3-2, they would have had the momentum at their back. Person was, you know, full of confidence and she had her chances in that match as well. So I, I like, I'm, you know... Hindsight twenty twenty, and you can say pretty much whatever you want. But East, I think, acquitted themselves quite well, and there is a lot for that program to look forward to in twenty twenty two as well. Especially if they can retain the bulk of that squad, which it sounds like they will be able to. Adam, yeah, look, um, it, it was like, again a very a very solid team. You know, mentioned the three players that probably stood out: uh, George Amos, uh, Sophie Person, and Zoe Lambie. So they um, they really sort of you know. Yeah, I think of of the best of the rest. Um, I think I think that they can, you know, with a couple of signings, they could probably really challenge as far as you know the bottom end of the of the, I guess the of of the finals, you know, next season uh, if they can keep it together. So, so yeah, it's um, I think interesting times for East. Uh, they they seem to actually have some affinity to really challenge. Um, to re-challenge lines. Um, I, like, in the end, the results probably don't pan their way, but they, they seem to, you know, give them a lot of trouble. So, I think, um, yeah, next season, I think they'll be interesting. New, new sign, uh, head coach, uh, Tony Panetta, I think may be able to, may be able to sort of, you know, advance them along. I think they could be uh, a threat next season if all goes well. You would certainly hope so. Uh, Scott, any thoughts on East? Yeah, I can't add too much more than what you just said. I will just say that I thought Sophie Person added a lot to East when she did join after the the split, the competition. Just playing up front, providing that that running in behind, giving a bit more space to George Amos up there, providing a bit of a secondary threat that they didn't have in the first third of the first half of the season. So I think that made a big difference. If they're able to keep hold of Sophie, we know that Sophie's moved around a few times from club to club. If they're able to if they're able to retain her services at East and keep that that pairing up front with Joey, Zoe Lambie as well, I think they could be have a, in for a good year next year, but I thought the addition of Sophie Person made a big difference for them. As much it as I thought George Amos was outstanding and one of the big reasons why they finished in the top top eight when the league split, I thought Sophie Person took them to the next level. Yeah, and Amos is just yeah a class player, but you pair her up with a striker-like person and just a... Um, like the young players that can uh, really buzz around like Askin and Lambie and whatnot. And um, it just gives space uh, the, to other players, doesn't it? Yeah. And they were un, like, under strength when it came to that semifinal as well. Kate Musket did her knee just before that uh, semifinal as well. And a couple of other players who, you know, if they are in the mix will be uh, certainly key figures. Now Souths, all I can really say about them is after 16 games, 10 wins, 1 draw, 5 defeats, uh, 31 points. That was... and Actually, no, I beg your pardon. That was East. Souths, 11 wins, 3 draws, 2 defeats, 36 points. And that was when the competition split. When the season finished, 11 wins, 5 draws, 7 defeats, 38 points. So they really did fall away, I think, in that back end of the season. Defensively, they were quite strong early on, and... Going to that artificial pitch out at Wakeley Park is a tough prospect for anyone. Um, but, yeah, they just didn't quite have that firepower to really challenge. I really admired the way that they persisted with Dom Spampanato, who's a young striker, very, very confident, but you can still see is uh, 
learning the ropes in terms of how to function as that level of player. But there's no reason to think that she can't continue to develop uh, as the year goes on. Yeah, look, uh, who was South? I think uh, they. I think they almost pretty much ran our cattle as far as they had. They had probably one of the best midfielders in the league, Enrique Tano. But uh, after that, they really didn't have much much else as far as you know. They, yeah, you know, obviously they, they pick up a lot of their points against some of the lesser uh, clubs, especially the clubs uh, that were in F, FQ, uh, end up being FQPL. Uh, but once once the season split and you sort of they got in that top top lot, I think they were found wanting. I think yeah, it was more like Amy Morland was serviceable. Um, yeah, in midfield there as well, Dom. Ben Pinato, as you said, you know, she tried hard with um, Kerry Dale, but, uh, but yeah, they, I think they just didn't, at the end of the day, have the, um, I guess, the, the squad to be able to really sort of kick on, especially against the top teams playing them week in, week out once the split happened. Yeah, I think if I think back to our season preview show, James, this is the one team I think we all got horrendously wrong because none of us had Souths finishing in the top eight from memory, and you know, they've absolutely smashed that, but you might have had to enough bridge. I no, don't think I was any of us did, but they also, we also didn't know they had Rikitano in our defence. So she had an unbelievable first half of the year for South United before her injury and was a big reason why they were able to get so many points and get into that top eight. And it's been an outstanding year for her. You mentioned Dom Spampinato and Amy Morland. Very good foils for her. And I do think once the injury happened to Re, it all did fall apart for them. And it's a, I think it's a pretty young side that South have got, so there's room for improvement and room to grow. But... They really need they they need to if they can keep Ricatano next year and keep her on the field they have an opportunity without her I think they struggle. And well, two things I would like to just clarify in our defence for our preseason predictions on Souths. Uh, I I know I definitely had them last, but that was because they had no squad information out there and we so kind of had to work with what we had on hand when every other club had announced something. So uh, secondly, if they can keep Gary French. Um, on hand, he is a phenomenal coach and one that I would love to, you know, play for if I ever got the opportunity. But I think that is well and truly past now that I'm 32. But uh, yeah, I think they've got a good coach. They've got a solid young core of players: Morland, Kissel, Dale, Rose, etc. They just they had a lot of good, solid players, but I think they need maybe one or two players at that same level as Rui Catano to really give them that extra boost. Now. Uh, Sunshine Coast Wanderers, they were solid. 34 points on the season, uh, comfortably in sixth spot. Any major thoughts on them, Scott? No, they had a really good season. They're another team who we weren't quite sure what to expect from them at the start of the year, given they weren't in the NPL last year. But they came in, they were they were probably the surprise package of the first half of the season. In a good way, a, a good way surprise package, I would say. There were a couple of teams we thought would be good and they weren't quite good at all. But with Sunshine Coast, they were really impressive and they did well to get to the split and... Again, I think it's a very competitive side, much like their men's side, actually. There's there's no real standout players in that side that I can really think of. I think the Scarf sisters were quite good, but again, it's a team which is just a really solid unit, and I think they were well worth their spot in the NPL when the league split, and I think they were pretty competitive in the games after that as well, so it's a pretty good year from them. Yes. Um, Adam? 
I think like their men's team as well. I think uh, Corey Robbins and his side, I think, should be uh, commended on their performance considering that the majority of that side, in fact, all of them except maybe Samara Christmas, uh, came from the Sunshine Coast Premier League. Uh, so so basically a win for local talent and a win for sort of, I guess, the standard competition uh, that was in um Sunshine Coast Premier League last season has somehow made you know are now competitive up in the um in the MPL top flight. So so yeah, no, a job well done for them. Hard to know where they go from here as far as you know where they can continue it on. Maybe a couple of key signings and you know amongst as well as experience from this squad at the moment they can they could be anywhere next season. So it'll be interesting to see where how that tower progresses. Yep. Okay, Morton Bay. Uh, I think all we can really say about them is uh, injuries suck. They lost, yeah, yeah the Fryer sisters, uh, the defender whose name is escaping me at the moment. Flo McIntyre. They, Flo McIntyre. Oh, that they was that injury. Yeah. They started off so well, but unfortunately, um, the season from hell injury bug appeared to make its way to Walsh Park for the Morton Bay United women. And, yeah, well, hopefully that uh, that will lead to some good luck when it comes to injuries next year. Uh, Adam, we'll give you first dibs on Morton Bay and the women. Yeah, it's just, this this is probably, for me, probably the heartbreaking story of the year. Um, When when David De Silva had his his best players on the day, again, with the exception of probably Lions, uh, they were competitive. And you would be with, you know, they didn't have either, they they lost uh, both, the Fryer sisters, they, they signed Sean and then she she was out. Then they, then they lost Lani. Uh, Flo McIntyre was that was a big loss. Um, it just it just fell apart for them um, injury wise. Look, Morton Bay, uh, I wouldn't rob them off because I think the case of you look at their juniors coming through. A lot of their under twenty threes at the moment have got plenty of experience at, at this level. Their eighteens, their sorry, their sixteens. Uh, I think are, are, are probably the best in um, in the league uh, in, in their league. So so they've got plenty of talent coming through. But I think the season's just one. Yeah, you almost say unlucky, and you know, it's not not reflective of actually the talent that was in the side. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and then the QAS. Uh, one thing on one thing I'll say more about. Yep. I mentioned all the players that got injured. I would say I thought Sam Bambling had a great year. Mm. For Morton Bay, when all those players got injured, it was Sam Bambling who stepped up with a lot of goals that were ultimately propelled them into the top half of the table. So I thought she had a great year for Morton Bay, and also Jess yep. Dillon as well. Uh, her experience, you know, you know, for m- much of the season as well, did to keep at least together. Yep. Okay. Um, well, we will also say QAS they were in the top eight uh, because they're developing some of the uh, promising youngsters around the competition and just in the interest of time, because we have been going for quite a way. We will move on to our awards. Um, Shea Connors, 37 goals, winning the Golden Boot. Bella Habuda, 27. Amy Gunston, 23. And when you add in Kappa Women's Super Cup goals, that was 51 on the season for Shea Connors. So, unsurprisingly, she was quite clearly the Brisbane Football Review NPL Women's Player of the Year, Adam. Yep, Shea Connors, uh, pretty much unanimous. Uh... Yeah, I, us three, we all voted uh, five points for her. Uh, 22 points, uh, beating Mariel Hecker in second 16. Uh, Isabel Habuda, third 11. Rika Tano, fourth on nine. And A.B. Gunston 
on five, but yeah, pretty unanimous uh, from from us five that you know Shay Connors, you know Golden Boot winner, best best player in the competition this season by a fair way. And long may that form continue for the Brisbane Raw this coming season. Just since I did it for the men's, I'll do it for the women's as well. Um, one point for Rika Tano, two for Mariel Hecker, three for Bella Habuda, four for Ellie Weston, and five points, obviously, Shay Connors. So that was how I voted. Um, since I did predominantly uh, NPL women's games this season, and I've got to see quite a lot of these uh, clubs, I'll lead off with the team of the season. Uh, goalkeeper, Georgie Worth. Uh, fullback, Blaze Kendis and Cannon Clough. Uh, centre-backs, Holly McQueen and Ellie Weston. Uh, the central midfielders, Rika Tano, Ish Nori, and then Mariel Hecker. Forwards, Shay Connors and Bella Habuda on the wings, and Larissa Crummer at the point. Now, I will admit normally I do hold injuries against uh, players in terms of the way that they uh, play, but Crummer was that effective when she was there. I just had to put her at the point of the formation then on the bench Murphy Sheaf, Billy Murphy Tegan Thompson, Zoe Lambie Misha Westland, Amy Gunson and Georgia Beaumont was my other option for that there so um, you guys can say how stupid I am, Adam we'll start with you yeah okay so my uh, team of the year and it was hard to sort of resist actually putting pretty much Lions team as a whole but no there were a couple there were a couple of standout players across the other league players so I'll Keep the Lions players to a minimum. Uh, goalkeeper Coco Matchsovich. Uh, in defence, Billy Murphy, Ellie Weston, Holly McQueen, and Tegan Thompson. Uh, midfielders of Misha Westland, Rika Tano, Mariel Hecker, and the uh, forward line of Isabel Habuda, Tegan Riding, and Shay Connors. On the bench, uh, Mia Bailey, uh, great season for QAS. Uh, Danny Ward, Ellen Gett, uh, Steph Latham. Georgina Amos, Sam Bambling, and Amy Gunston. And coached by Mr. 8 out of 10, uh, Grand Finals, Rob Askew. Oh, yeah, that was my coach too, Rob. Yeah, you pair can promise to keep the Lions place to minimum. I make no such promises with my team of the year. <laughs> but I will start with a non-Lions player with a Georgie Worth's in goal. Across the back four, Cannon Clough, Holly McQueen, Eloise Weston, and Tegan Thompson. In midfield, Misha Westland and Ricatano. In the front four, Amy Gunston, Mariel Hecker, Shea Connors, and Bella Habuda. On the bench, Coco Mastrovich, Danny Ward, Zoe Corbett, Billy Murphy, Sam Bambling, Tegan Riding, and Georgie Amos, coached by Rob Askey. Cool. All right. Now, we are well aware this has been a very, very, very long show. So we will wrap up very quickly with a look ahead to this weekend's semifinals um, and just keep this very simple. Friday night, Penn Power hosting Lions at AJ Kelly Park. Sunday night, the Raw hosting Olympic at Goodwin Park, Yoronga. Adam, which two teams will be in the grand final at Parc de Paris on November 6th? Jesus. I actually I, we previewed it, but I didn't actually serve to give a winner. Uh, I think it'll be I think potential Power Olympic. I think that will be the uh, grand final. Just totally throw it out there. But you know what? New season, anything can happen. And if it is Lions v uh, Raw or any other combination, I would not be shocked. These are the four best teams in the league, and it's going to be a hell of a semi-final series. Scott. Given that I have to speak to these coaches at full time of these games, what do you think the odds are of me answering this question are? 
pretty good since I'm going to keep us recording until you actually uh, give an answer. Alright, well, the, the, peninsula, the Peninsula Lions of Power will be playing against the Brisbane Olympic of Raw in the grand final. How's that for an answer for you? I, actually, I genuinely don't know. I think both these games could go either way. I think they're two unbelievably good matchups, actually. When you look at the four teams that are in the semi-finals, these, these two matchups, the way they've matched up, Lions v Power is always an amazing clash when they play the, the big, biggest club on the north side versus the biggest club on the south side. And Olympic v Raw is also an amazing matchup. So I'm looking forward to both games. And I'm not going to give you a winner. You can keep this recording going all you like. I'll, I'll go and do something else if you like. But All right. I'm going to... Well, I will not pull a Scott and uh, make sure that I avoid the fence here. And I'm going to say that Pinchel Power will make the grand final. But they will lose to Olympic in the, in the decider. I think this is the season... Uh, for Ben Khan to finally break through. Um, they've got that resilience now, and I do kind of feel like they, they know how to play Penn Power. Um, and, yeah, with the form that Brady and Leck and company are in, I think they'll just have too much firepower for the Raw, because I also have a feeling that the Raw may be missing a few players with their fr- uh, A-League friendly against Adelaide, and that might mean that uh, we might see a few players... Who could be a little bit I underdone hope that's heading? That's not the case, by the way. I hope they go. I hope not too, but NPL, but I, th- I fear you might be right. But considering it's that like, they're, like they're going to going over time. Yeah, uh, I'm go- yes, or well, I'm going to say that I do think the raw like they're going to need twenty five odd players for that squad out at uh, North Ipswich Reserve. So that does mean some of these guys are going to have to do. Uh, are going to have to see to the senior squad. So. That's my prediction. Olympic defeating Penn Power in the grand final. Either way, it's going to be a win-win-win for football fans. Whatever the final combination is on that final day of the season. Uh, We should wrap up now because I'm getting quite hungry. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you once again, James. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you, gentlemen. And we will be back with our A-League men's season preview before too long. That'll come uh, before that season kicks off on November 19th, when the Brisbane Raw take on Melbourne City. In the meantime, enjoy the NPL finals. They're going to be absolute belters, I am sure. And enjoy the football. We will talk to you later. This has been the Brisbane Football Review.